This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Around 28 months ago, the people of Britain voted to leave the European Union. It's known as Brexit, of course, and that unleashed political and economic uncertainty. On Wednesday, the 14th of November, Theresa May, the UK Prime Minister, announced a draft Brexit deal had been approved by her cabinet. But then she faced questions in Parliament the next day in one of the most important parliamentary debates since World War II. And it didn't go well for Theresa May. The situation changes hourly, of course. So rather than focus on negatives and predict political outcomes. Let's focus instead on positives and opportunities. With me is Simon Brazier. Simon, with adversity comes opportunity. So in a perverse way, I suppose as a portfolio manager, it must be quite exciting to watch periods of panic as we've seen this week and pick through the bones of that panic. Yes, I think volatility always gives opportunity. We have been saying since the Brexit vote, actually, that we found it it's going to be very difficult for Theresa May to get a deal that would get ultimate approval by Parliament. And we'll wait and see if that happens. And hence, you know, we've been somewhat positioned for the uncertainty that we're in. And so we will wait and see. But the reality is that I do think the next three to six months leading up to the proposed exit date is going to have significant impacts on currency, equity, bond markets, and that will provide some opportunities. Yes, indeed. We saw the pound at one stage during the parliamentary debate falling around 1.5%, its biggest one-day fall in two years. But as I said in my introduction, I don't want to try and make political predictions here, much as I'd love to hear your views. I want to ascertain what you've been doing since the whole Brexit process started, or rather non-started. What has been your attitude towards FTSE 100 companies, for example? Well, I think you've already hinted at one of the main issues for me, which is currency. Until Brexit, you know, of course, one took into account currency moves with regard to certain companies. But actually, the moves we've seen, you know, sterling going from almost as high as 1.6 prior to Brexit down to 1.2 against the dollar, has meant you've seen almost like emerging market volatility in, in sterling. And sterling has a significant impact on the UK equity market. Nearly 70% of revenues of UK companies come from outside the UK. So which that is why, actually, despite all the turmoil yesterday in markets, that FTSE All Share was actually up on the day because weaker sterling ultimately is a beneficiary for the market as a whole. What we have been doing over the last two and a half years as we've been preparing for what we thought was going to be quite volatile times is two things relating to currency. The first is that we've been increasing the large cap exposure in our portfolio. This is because typically the large caps are more globally diversified. But not only that, you find a variety of them which are actually have, for example, their dividends denominated in dollars. So some of the largest companies in the market, like BP, like HSBC, their dividends in pounds are improved with weaker sterling. So we've been moving further up the market cap spectrum to the point where in the fund we're well over 80 percent of FTSE 100 or equivalents today. The second area has been in that overseas earnings exposure. And I've come from down from nearly 40 percent domestic revenue exposure in 2016 to less than 30 percent today. So you know, nearly 10, 12 percent reduction in that, partly because one, we wanted to get less exposure we were wary of weaker sterling. But also, secondly, the Brexit vote itself, and I think whatever deal comes out of this, has meant the UK is growing slower as an economy than we were predicting three years ago before Brexit. And hence, we have reduced some of that domestic cyclical exposure, again, which you find more in the small and mid-cap stocks, and hence the reduction there.
Okay, so to summarise then, you've gone more for large caps uh, because of the diverse nature of their portfolios and geographical distribution. You've also had a look at the currency and made a correct call on the currency from the colleagues I've been speaking to over the last couple of years, and that you've gone down from 40% to less than 30% of domestically focused stocks, UK domestically focused stocks. And when you say 10 12%, actually, if you take 40% and take 10%, you've actually reduced that exposure in percentage terms by around about 25%. That's quite a big call. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, just to be clear, it's not the number of stocks, it's the actual exposure of the companies that I own. But the reality is, is that we were looking at 3% plus GDP growth forecasts prior to 2016. A big chunk of that was coming from business investment growth in the UK, which was nearly double digit. In the UK, prior to the Brexit vote, was seeing significant foreign direct investment because it was a fantastic place to base your businesses in order to get access into the European single market. Not only that, a lot of people wanted to buy houses, they wanted to buy UK equities, UK government bonds. We were an attractive area. And the reality is the UK needed to attract that foreign direct investment because we have a current account deficit. We still need to fund it, but the reality is today the clearing rate, i.e. where the pound is versus other currencies, to attract that investment is certainly lower because external investors see risk. And business investment growth today is basically flat, which means you know, GDP growth is lower. And we took that view that that was going to be the case. And many of the domestic cyclical companies in, the, for example, the property sector, the house building sector, retail, leisure, industrials that we've sold, you know, I would say roughly 50 to 20 percent of my cyclical exposure as a whole of the portfolio has been reduced over that two and a half years is because purely of the economic outlook and what that means for the individual companies. We don't take top down views in the fund. We do it at a stock basis, but we are cognizant of the wider environment. And we predicted and up till now it's been helpful to us that things would be slowing. Without giving too much away, can you give us some company examples? You've given the theory now, but I love examples. Can you give us some? Yes. Well, I'm always loath to talk about companies we've sold. I've talked to you through some of the sectors. But the reality is, if you take, you know, a lot of people have been very wary of consumer staples because they said, oh, we're in a rising interest rate environment. These are more difficult companies. I disagree with that. Good quality companies like a Unilever or a Reckitt Benckiser that are globally diversified, cash generative, that actually you know, have been around a long time. These companies have lived through wars. They've lived through you know, worse things in some respect than Brexit. These are companies that are continuing to grow their revenues and their cash flows. They're able to reinvest their cash flows at high rates of return. And no matter what the economic environment is, I believe these companies can continue to grow. And actually, I'm prepared to pay a decent valuation for those businesses because you know, my end clients, that to them, I believe it's good certainty and these companies generate the cash. There's a danger, of course, that other people have the same thoughts as you and the same process as you. Is it becoming an overcrowded trade, for example, the Unilever trade? Well, just taking a step back, the one trade that is certainly not overcrowded in the UK equity market is around large cap. I mean, the reality is you've seen significant inflows into smaller mid-cap funds in recent years, partly because they have those, those, that area of the market has performed well. And not only that, it's difficult to find UK funds that have over 50% of their exposure to these larger companies. So I would say that as a whole, the direction of travel I've been moving in has not been the direction of the travel of the rest of the market. I mean, I would say more value-based funds have certainly been moving in this direction as well. And what I'd say is that two-thirds of my fund typically is in these higher-quality names like Reckitt's and Unilever. But I do have another third of the fund that, based on valuation, are either more focused towards growth or more focused towards value. And more recently, it has the last two years, has been more focused towards value. It's the sectors like 
oil and gas, you know, food retailing. Tesco is one of my biggest positions. You know, those types of sectors are where we've been adding. Let's look forward now. The volatility that has hit the markets uh, since the parliamentary debate and since the draft Brexit deal was approved by Cabinet has not been unprecedented, but it certainly livened the market up a little bit. And it's difficult to make predictions, and I promise we wouldn't make predictions, but you have to manage not only currency and your equity portfolio, but also have a look at the macro picture when it comes to UK GDP growth. There are undoubtedly going to be concerns because when there is uncertainty, people go into their shells. You're cognizant of that, of course. Very cognizant. I mean, one of the things that I've been talking about is the fact that the largest component of UK GDP is domestic consumption spend. It's nearly two thirds of GDP. And there's only two ways you can grow domestic consumption spend in the UK. You either have real wage increases, so people have more money to spend year on year, or people spend more and save less. And my argument has been that there is significant risk to this because I don't see real wage increases coming through. We've seen some some positivity recently because the wage cap on the public sector has come off, but that's a short-term dynamic once that comes through in the numbers. So I don't see real wage growth coming through. And the reality is the savings ratio today is back at the very historical lows. So if I look back at history, 2008, you had a savings ratio that jumped from about 1% to 7%. That's about 4% off GDP. My concern would be, to your exact point, was if we were to see uncertainty, political uncertainty in the UK, economic concerns, Brexit concerns, then consumers may just rein back on that spending. And that just takes GDP down straight away because it is such a large part of GDP. So don't worry about government spend. Don't worry about net exports or net trade. The biggest issue is consumer spending. And any slowdown in that certainly would push the UK into recession because we're already just over 1% GDP growth as we stand today anyway. Simon, these are fascinating times, perversely satisfying in many ways. Are you looking forward to the next few months? Well, I think you're correct. Is it perverse? Particularly because, yes, there are risks to the UK economy. There's risks to the UK consumer, as we've discussed. But for me, you know, my priority is to make my clients money. And as you say, it is perverse because as things get weaker economically and as sterling weakens, it actually strengthens the hand of the UK equity market due to that overseas earnings nature of the market and weak sterling as one translates returns from overseas earnings back, means you do get better profitability for many of these companies. And actually, the market does seem to do well in that type of environment. So there is almost a natural hedge to the UK equity market. We can own great businesses that do well if the world is fine. But if things get a bit more difficult, we're not 100% domestically exposed. And actually, the UK equity investor gets that nice hedge. Simon, thanks very much for your insight. That's Simon Brazier, portfolio manager responsible for the UK Alpha Strategy. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.